Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. This week, we this week we're bringing you a special sort of mashup episode. This week, we've got a special mashup episode for you. It's all about life on Mars. What would it be like if humans lived there, ate there, and more importantly, played there? We wrangled clips from across the Star Talk podcast network Star Talk All Stars, Playing with Science, Star Talk TV, and of course, the original flagship, Star Talk Radio. The Martian by Andy Weir planted an image of human life on Mars in the public imagination. And I remember the movie, I, I couldn't get it out of my head. Living there, eating there, surviving there. And so we have to ask, is that image scientifically accurate? Let's find out in our first clip featuring Bill Nye, Andy Weir, Eugene Merman, Maeve Higgins, and NASA Planetary Science Director, Jim Green. I came up with this idea that for an astronaut stranded on Mars, but I wanted everything to be physically accurate just because I always get taken out of a story when I see some blatant physical inaccuracy. The but book I, is uh, fairly accurate too, right? Or very accurate? Oh, the book's delightful in many ways, but you know, it is. Sorry, I meant to say, is the book delightful scientifically? <laughs> Uh, let me think about that. So, you know, it's science fiction. There are things in the book that, uh, you know, we don't find on Mars. Not yet, anyway. Might happen someday. Gradient, uh, for example. Oh. Well, Matt Damon's not on there. Yeah. <laughs> but there is a guy from Boston. <laughs> Probably buried. Is that what you meant? Buried somewhere on Mars? So, um... Yeah, from the big dig. <laughs> Turns out that's where Jimmy Hoffman is. The dust storm. The dust storm. Okay, you know, Mars has famous dust storms. They go, you know, global sometimes. You can see them with telescopes from Earth, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they look the entire planet. space sometimes. But um, but in reality, the pressure is so low. How low is it? It's very low. About one two hundred seven atmosphere. Yeah, one two hundred seven atmosphere roughly of what we have, you know. And so, although the winds can be pretty hefty, it can be one hundred and twenty miles an hour, but that's not enough to straighten an American flag, let alone blow away a you know radio dish. Because there's so few molecules going that fast. <laughs> right, that's right. You, so, you, so you did? Did you have trouble watching the movie with all its lies? Then no, absolutely. Were you like another lie, another lie? <laughs> Stop lying to me, Ridley. 
Are oh, you going to put it on Ridley? All right. Yeah, I could. <laughs> yeah. Well, Freaking Ridley. Now, what you got to do... Guy. Your book's accurate. Delightfully so. <laughs> Delightfully so. But you, you got to check the science at the door and go on in and enjoy it. It's, it's enjoyable. It's great. You're you know, I do that kind of stuff all day long. Why do but, I want to yeah. sit in but the movie theater and think about some more of it? <laughs> Andy, as Nerd Man, nerd you man. had to work out some serious scientific problems. Yeah, I did. Um, yes, absolutely. The, uh, the dust storm is, or the sandstorm is inaccurate. And I knew that at the time. I just didn't care. Um, <laughs> I wanted a good reason to strand him there. And at the time I wrote it, most people didn't know that. Like, most people thought that a sandstorm on Mars. But then, because The Martian got so popular and became a very popular movie and then got a bunch of scientists talking about it, now everybody knows a dust storm on Mars can't do that. <laughs> so but I shot myself cool. in the foot. It was you blew the thing over and yes. you couldn't see. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, what are those chunks, by the way, that were coming out? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know. Space but, um, debris. Space one of my favorite yeah. things is how JPL almost ruined everything. Um, when I, uh, you know, I wrote the book. It was done. It was already in final editing. I can't make any more changes or other than, like, copy editing, and, you know. And, and like, at that point, like, they were deciding they had it down to the final four candidates of where they're going to land Curiosity. They eventually landed it, you know, near Mount Sharp and Gale Crater. But, um, you know, one Mount of the... Sharp. Mount Sharp. Mount Sharp, Gale Crater. On Mars, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm on The Mars. big one. Right, on Mars. Not the which is, which is thousands and thousands of kilometers away from all the things that happen in the Martian. Not a problem. One of the final four candidates on where they were thinking about landing it was Marth Vallis, which Mark drives through. Like, I specifically call it out in the book. He drives through yep. this ravine, right. Marth Vallis. He would have had to have gone around the rover to keep going. And I'm like, oh, you guys are killing me with your stupid real stuff. And then my, my but my favorite little, little... It's uh, like they didn't even take that into account. It's like they... <laughs> you know, nobody asked me. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> oh, well, Sorry about that. Yeah, I know. Well, so, Jim, what did I make the final decision? No, actually, I didn't. But we were down to the last four, and I loved any one of those. So, so my boss did. And that was um, uh, Ed Weiler at the time. And... Uh, so, yeah, everybody, this is the real guy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> this is the... So, just so we're clear, just so we're clear, the character in the book, Venkat Kapoor, who is in the movie Vincent Kapoor, that's, he holds that position in the real NASA. So if you're curious, that's who he is. So... Uh, your tax dollars at work. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> and they work, too. <laughs> but um, what, what, one other, my favorite little, you know, stories of, like, you know, space research screwing with me is um, the, uh, the University of Arizona that runs the high-rise instrument. High-resolution camera. Um, orbiting orbiting apparently, we have, like, four of their alumni here today. <laughs> but, four people um, who are anyway, great at clapping. They, they, <laughs> in, they in just the got book, the joke Phil made ten minutes ago. In, in, in the book. Uh, yeah, well, they're U of A, I mean. But, Somebody got it. Yeah. But um, in the book, I give the exact latitude and longitude of the HAB. And so the HAB is the habitat. The, the habitat, the, 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 main, the, the base where most of the Martian takes place, where Mark Watney is stranded, where, where, where they are. The their hab, landing the site. Nots. Habitat. Um, yeah. And, um, and so I describe the terrain as being kind of flat and sandy. There's not much going on in Acidalia Planitia. It's a large empty desert and stuff like that. And the guys who run high-rise are like, let's check. And so they did these super high-rise photos of the Habs location on the real Mars. And they're like, well, that's nothing like he described it. <laughs> Well, yeah, but Ridley got it right. You know, because yeah, there are the, some yeah. beautiful craters right right around where that hab would be. And, yeah, and, and the scenery looks great. Yeah, it does. Those, those people almost hate Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> almost. Yeah. So they don't have good resolution on galaxies far, far away. <laughs> they don't have, we don't have a camera for that yet. Yeah, we're working on it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so the guy's on Mars. He's got a lot of food. Because there were supposed to be six people, but he's only one? Yeah, um, and they left in the book, they left after six days of a planned 31-day mission, and they had redundant food supplies. So he had enough food to last about 400 souls. A soul is a day on Mars, for the four of you who don't know that. Um, and, um, well, three of you and one of her, I guess. <laughs> Wait, I, I, have, uh, I know it is that, but why is that? Why is it called a soul? Soul is Latin for sun. It just means, uh, because... 
day is an ambiguous term. Day to scientists means the time it takes Earth to rotate once on its axis, just Earth. So Mars rotating on its axis, that's one Martian soul. I, Venus... I remember uh-huh. <laughs> during the disco era... Uh, <laughs> A different was, soul. That's yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> different soul. The soul train. <laughs> Tell us what Studio this... 54 was like, Bill. <laughs> I don't remember, man. <laughs> yeah, he was there. Bill, the science high guy. Bill, Bill, Bill. Stereotypes. You don't always do that well with the ladies. The stereotypical male in here. I know it's in our next clip, I chat with Chuck Nice, astronaut Mike Massimino, and author Mary Roach about handling waste on Mars and an unusual space snack. We came off the segment talking about food, comfort food. What's your favorite? It, it, you, you love the lasagna, but that, lasagna. lasagna is not comfort food. Give for, me some, for an some, Italian kid, it is. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, macaroni and cheese. You got mac and cheese. Uh, shrimp cocktail is a favorite. I don't know if that's comfort food. I really don't know what comfort food is. To me, it's food. You, shrimp you cocktail. Anything. Comfort food for the bushes, yes. All right. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, 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 we have hamburgers. Uh, comfort food for the Yeah. <laughs> uh, Depends on how well you are. Some, you want some good food. Don't you? Uh, the idea. The idea of, of wanting to look out the window and not worrying about food, that's when you're applying to get on the mission. Yeah, I don't need food. I'll eat granola bars. But after you get assigned, you're going to want to eat. So the quality of the food is going to have to be pretty good, I think. And, Chuck, you said the Jamaicans would. Why would they make good astronauts? You because, think about it, man. You, you, you know, everything that you need to deal with, your stress and food issues are taken care of with one little Rasta puff. <laughs> That works. Yeah, if your if your if your fellow astronaut is on you, hey man, go ahead and smoke these. I'm, I'm, yeah, right? I'm guessing there's no smoking in space. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's not just that, but there's a few issues there. I don't know if we want to go there, yeah. but okay. that might not be an easy. It might sound like an easy solution, but, but not not really. It might not work as well I tell as you, you think. We 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 the space we, flight is tough in that way. We just put it in a pouch. You add water and put it in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> no smoking, no smoking necessary. No comment. That's right. We put them in brownies. So what's fun is if you create a Mars settlement, there's food you might bring, but maybe you don't want to bring food. You bring seeds, you bring sort of baby animals, and then you sort of raise livestock on Mars. That way, the astronauts wouldn't. They didn't have a real burger. You know, you can have like Kobe beef on Mars. Maybe. I interviewed Mary Mary Roach, author of Packing for Mars. Let's see what she says about Mars settlements. I think we know enough about space. We don't have to send animals to Mars first. What a waste of money that would no, be. No, no, nobody's going to do that. Unless mm-hmm. someone decides there was this wonderful paper from a 1964 conference it's on space nutrition and related waste issues. Okay, he... <laughs> That's the title of the conference? That's the title of the conference. <laughs> if you were to bring livestock to Mars, like if you're going to bring animals and have ranching going on, what would be the best species to bring in terms of how much it costs to launch them versus how many calories you get? And he did an analysis of cows. I would include taste in there, too. Somehow quantify taste. I don't think he did because the winner was mice. Mouse stew. Ew. Yeah. So mice are more efficient. That's what he determined that you should I can't launch believe mice. That. I you know, you know why I can't believe it? Because, because there's not much meat on a I, mouse. That's what I'm saying. I once ate a squirrel when I was in Texas. Yeah. There's barely any meat on a squirrel. You know, there's nothing on a mouse. You gotta, well, you got to take it up with Max Kleiber. Could it be that mice they have a very short gestation period, so they that, can multiply their generations very quickly? That could have been it. But just think of the steer. Talk about waste issues. No, then it's fertilizer for the plants well, or, that you're going to grow. Or it becomes radiation shielding because you want your hydrocarbons. To so manure it's being manure. radiation shield. NASA has a device down at Ames that can take... Ames Research Center yes, in California. Yes. It's kind of like an easy-bake oven where you would take... <laughs> waste material and could plasticize it in a tile and you could line the capsule with that. On your way home you'd use that for radiation. You take animal poop put it in an easy bake oven. Or human. Yeah, Well humans are animals. And so it hardens It becomes a tile like you know like the ceiling tiles. And so you line your craft with this. It's a good radiation. It doesn't smell I mean you have to coat it. It's it's sealed in plastic. But it is interesting because if you go to another place you're thinking you're going to take food that you would be comfortable with eating and might want to sustain. So it would be like right. an ark, right? You wouldn't just yeah. take a cow. You could take a cow and a bull. No, more likely a cow and bull sperm, right? Right, right. Okay, because right. bull sperm weighs less right. than a cow. <laughs> Sorry, I just did the math on that one. <laughs> That's just how that works. Mm. <laughs> 
so so Mike, if you could, if you eat mouse stew, would you? If that's all you could eat, would you go to Mars? Uh, that's what I would say when I, if that was my interview question, if I could go, yes. And then after I got assigned to the mission, I wouldn't be eating any mouse. Right. <laughs> Boy, mice cannot catch a break. I mean, I'm telling God. you. No, we're not eating mice. We're not eating mice. I'm telling you. I, you know, it's just it's just interesting using animal waste to line the aircraft because there's still this radiation problem unsolved. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think it shows the way you have to think out of the box for these uh, for this type of trip. Uh, and any crazy idea might seem a little bit nutty. You need to to think about if it's going to help you. You need to think creatively. So that's more like thinking out of the butt, out of, not, yeah. out of, <laughs> yeah. not out of yeah. the box. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Come, I can't hold it together. The crappy shields are crapping out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quick poop, we're in danger. <laughs> We need more poop. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to give some credence to it. <laughs> you know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship. From a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, the Bahamas and Panama. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com us switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Welcome back to Star Talk. This week is a special mashup edition. You're going to hear clips from our favorite discussions across the Star Talk network. So let's get right back to it. Hello, this is Mike Massimino talking to you from Star Talk All Stars. I guess I'm actually an All Star. Yeah. I haven't been an All Star since I was 13 years old in Little League. <laughs> that was 40 years ago. But I'm an All Star again, and your host tonight. And I have with me my friend. 
Wait, can I call you my friend? Yes, please. Maeve Higgins is my new friend. No, we're friends. <laughs> and she's a tremendous, great space enthusiast, but more important, a comedian. So she's going to keep us laughing. Thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me. You bet. And I'm very excited because a good friend of mine who I work with at the Johnson Space Center, John Charles, really smart guy. Mm -hmm. He's a scientist. He's actually a chief scientist. Oh, uh, so there's scientists and then there's chief there's, scientists. There's scientists and then there's chiefs. Mm -hmm. And there's like baby and, scientists. And, and you got to grow up to be a chief. You don't start out as a chief. They, they check you out and they're like, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to make this guy a chief. And mm -hmm. John is a really smart, well-spoken genius, although he'll never say this, but... He certainly is. He's the head of our uh, NASA Human Research Program, chief scientist for the NASA Human Research Program, trying to get people to the moon, to Mars, off the planet, far away, and taking care of them. Whoa, thanks for making time to talk to us, two bozos, John. John oh, Charles. I, tell you what, Mike, with an intro like that, I'm, I'm glad I made it. <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad that you're here. And we're going to talk about what it takes to get people to Mars. People on Mars. That's right. People like you and me, maybe not you and me, but people like us, like real us. people. But, John, what did you think about the movie to Mars? I'm sure you get questions all the time about that. What was your opinion? Well, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was probably the best space movie since 2001, and uh, we can argue about whether mm -hmm. it was better than 2001. My wife says she prefers not to go to space movies with me because uh, all I do is huff and puff and roll my eyes audibly during the usually during the entire movie but she said I would behave I behave myself well this time you know Andy has said that the the opening event you know the 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 wind that that blows everything around and causes the problem couldn't happen on Mars the atmosphere is too thin and the dust is not sandy grainy granular like that it's it's more the 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 texture of smoke particles and he said, uh, I, asked him, I asked him that question during a Q&A one time, and he says, yes, I know, but I needed to start the movie somehow, and that's how I chose to do it, and did it you just, okay. Did you just show up at a Q&A like a regular citizen? Like, he didn't know that you had all this, oh, like, no, no. no, no, no. No, no, he actually came to Johnson Space Center and did series of, a series of book talks and Q&As for oh. all of us nerds, so he was very well prepared for the audience, and we all loved him. Yeah, John, John was a plant. Yeah, yeah. Going there and say, "Hey, <laughs> what was wrong?" But that was and, and the EVA scene, the spacewalking scene at the end. It's, as soon as you mentioned that, my uh, my son and I saw it together, and he said the same thing. It was Dad, what kind of spacewalk are they doing? He, even my son, you know, my son was picked up on it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Dan, it was very unprofessional the way they were untethered at the end. But you were like, "But wasn't it cool when he pulled the antenna out of it?" Right. I said, "Yeah, Dan, don't worry about that." Matt Damon was a cool astronaut. This one's approved. He's got I mean, the astronaut it's good. it must be great, like PR, right? Like that's like my, you know, when you see great movie about space like it makes you think highly of nasa for some I, reason i think so what do you think Joe? i think that was that was good for us wasn't it i agree i, I we got a lot we certainly used it for a lot of publicity we we mm. tried to link a lot of the one-year mission uh, space station work to it and and uh, things like that so yeah i thought it was great Johnny, but there's also the serious part to what the movie portrayed, which was how do you keep a crew alive? Now, he was in a survival situation, mm -hmm. but still, there there must be a lot of parallels that with the work you're doing to what you saw in that movie, right? Food and water and life support and so on, yeah? Exactly. Well, I mean, the the food was was the, one of the – actually, the potato was like another supporting actor in the in the whole movie. And, uh, That's your like buddy, in the whole history of Ireland. Right. <laughs> But, but Mike, your pal, Don potatoes Pettit. Potatoes are huge for us. <laughs> Have you heard what Don Pettit said about potatoes in space, though, Mike? No, Don, Don Pettit is one of my best friends oh. uh, and a very entertaining guy and a genius. What? Very rare for an astronaut, let me add. You know. What did he say this time? Don Pettit said he's never seen a potato on the space station or on the shuttle that was not sliced and had its eyes cut out. So there's no yeah. way a potato on this, uh, in space would have been able to grow mm -hmm. and, and produce more potatoes. But Don, Don did actually grow stuff in space, and he are growing stuff on the space. But Don, right. Don grew his own. He grew a sunflower, and he grew a, he? a squash. Yeah, that it was kind of on his own. Wow. But uh, but he did his own little experiment. But they have grown also lettuce on yeah. the space station on purpose, as well. Yeah, on we, purpose, we have yeah. special seeds we fly up to do that that kind of research to eventually lead to growing. No, fresh I knew food it was on purpose. Life. I didn't think it was like an accidental. No, what I'm saying, <laughs> some, some guys grew. Some astronauts might do things because they're interested on in their own experiments. Oh. But this was the the lettuce was a real growing right. the lettuce was a real uh, project. Yeah, that right. they had and it was successful. So you exactly. can't to grow your own food in space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they ate the results. 
And then you eat the results, and yeah. they're, they're good, hopefully. Uh, what, go ahead, man. I was just going to ask about water. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. One. Like, how, how on earth could you provide water for people on Mars? Could you find it there? What's going to happen there? Well, you have to bring it with you, probably, mm-hmm. at least the starter kit for water. And then the, the, the point is, uh, with any luck, you can generate water out of uh, in situ uh, resources. And of course, what you have on Mars in situ is carbon dioxide. It's a very thin atmosphere, but it's almost completely carbon dioxide. Yeah. And uh, if you bring along the right kind of of uh, machinery that knows how to, to crack carbon dioxide, and if you brought along a tank of hydrogen with you, you can get oxygen and water out of the reaction of carbon dioxide and hydrogen uh, using chemistry that is far beyond my capability to explain, but but it's a possibility. So if you're if you're there for the long term, you got to plan ahead and br- either bring stuff with you or make it from uh, local resources. You're also going to recycle it, aren't you, John? I mean, exactly. that's what right, that's what we're doing on this. As my friend Don Pettit, who we referred to earlier, yeah. describes, today's coffee is tomorrow's coffee. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You you drink something, yeah, you pee it, and then you drink it again. Yeah. With, right. with some that explains Starbucks. There's a couple steps in between there, by the way. But <laughs> uh, but that's going to be the plan, too, I would assume. Right, John? Exactly right. Exactly. And so what would it look ship. like to live, like, where would you live in Mar? Like, what would it look like? What would your, you know, I was going to say tent. That's because I've seen the the movie. But, like, what would, like, where would you sleep and live? Habitat. Your habitat. Yeah, yeah that's the word. Yeah, the habitat would probably look very much like uh, like you saw in the movie, and that was actually based on a habitat that we're doing studies in on the ground, which was, of course, uh, primarily designed for studies uh, back in the deserts. So it's probably going to look something like a, a, a repurposed spaceship. It might be inflatable. It might be rigidized. Uh, it, it certainly, we're, we're only not just now doing research on the right way to do that, so there's no final answer yet. It sounds like the Burning Man ha- Festival. I don't know if you ever sent anybody on a research trip to Burning Man where you have to like bring your own water and tents and everyone is really spaced out. Yeah. <laughs> Woodstock. This is Star Talk. Welcome to the Space Olympics, the year 3022. Take part in a grand tradition. You may have echoes in the halls of the universe. Today we enter Twitterdom through the vast multiverses of Neil deGrasse Tyson's mind and light up the cerebral spheres that engage with the complex and ever-evolving world of sport. Yeah, so uh, did you did you change your meds? Cause <laughs> slightly. <laughs> hey, Neil deGrasse Tyson has many opinions and many things which he chooses to share on a regular basis, but he has a heartfelt connection to sports that's constantly filtered through his scientific lens on Twitter. So when you play with science, there can be no better play date than the man himself. Yes. And to take us to sports that are out of this world. Out of this we world sports. Have. Yes, indeed. Out of this world sports, we have Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes. Thanks for joining us right now. It's the one, the, the only, the inimitable deGrasse Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Like that? Scared? That's Where'd you get the gong? Yeah. My gosh. <laughs> Normally that's how you get someone off the stage, right? <laughs> I saw the gong show. All righty. No, no, don't, don't take it personally. Uh, no, that is, uh, that is a royal entrance right there. That's what the gong is for. Now... Normally, I'm sitting there. That's right, sir. Now, you just took you just took your own damn show. <laughs> kind of, now, I'm a guest on your damn show. Weirding you out? Are you comfortable? Are you okay? I'll get, I'll get used to it. That's all right. It doesn't happen without you, no matter what, happen? though. What's up? Neil's going to start asking us questions. He won't be able to help himself. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'll, be, I'll happily be your guest on this show. Yeah, that's Thank when... The, the, please don't ask us any questions. It, it means I feel loved. Uh, I feel loved. Uh, yeah. That's very cool. Thanks for being here, man. We All appreciate right. it. Yeah. And, of course, you are a prolific tweeter. So this is from the 2012 Olympics. All right. I said, how about a Mars Olympics? Yes, all athletes would suffocate. <laughs> Ignoring that complication, way cooler than an Earth Olympics. That's all. Uh, way cooler than an Earth Olympics. I'm Mars setting Olympics. you up for tweets that follow. Yes, obviously. I was going to say, because yeah, yeah, yeah. when you say way cooler, then you actually give us some examples of why mm-hmm. an Olympics on Mars, or pretty much 
any sporting event on Mars might be cool. It might it's be also a couple hundred degrees below zero on Mars, so way cooler has double meaning there. Ah, uh, no, okay. I, knew, I think we picked that you one. Pick that up, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's look at one of the Mars uh, tweets, and this is cycling on Mars. Okay. okay. All, right. All right. All right. So go ahead. Right. So uh, this is again during the the summer 2012 Olympics. If there was cycling on Mars, try Olympic Mons, a volcanic mountain five times taller. Than Mont Blanc in the Alps. Wow. So you think you got tall mountains here? No, the tallest mountains and the deepest valleys are not on Earth, in the solar system. They're, they're on Mars, they're on the moon. So we ain't got no, we, nothing. Right. Yeah, we're not, okay, well, we're not winning those contests. Because you know this, the atmosphere on Mars is how much less than the Earth's atmosphere? It's about one one hundredth. Yeah. So if we had the pressure, that, atmospheric pressure. pressure. So in other words, for every breath you take on Mars, there's one one hundredth the amount of air in that breath than it would be on. As an Earth. athlete, altitude becomes your enemy in terms of the oxygenation. If you're breathing. performing in altitude, but yeah. the ideal way to do this is you train in altitude yes. and mm. then compete at sea level. Right. What we need to do is that's, go to that's Mars. That's why Sherpas yeah. don't have any problem getting up the mountain while all the tourists are like, <gasps> <gasps> that's right. All the baggage. I need, right. Yeah. I need more oxygen. So here's what you do. Even go better. Train on Mars. I'm going to make a suggestion that's never been made before. You ready? Yeah. Here we are. You drain the Pacific Ocean. Okay. Oh. And then hold the Olympics at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. And, but you train at high altitude, but now you compete at the, the bottom, of the, which bottom is of the trench. six miles down. Now every breath of air has way more oxygen right. than at sea level. And so now uh, you have heroic feats. Before, you don't even have to dope your blood. Mm. The air itself will put the oxygen right, and force it right into your lungs. Sure the I just see you're going to stump up for that draining of. <laughs> I was going to say, I just like the fact that you're thinking like a supervillain. <laughs> I'd have gone the, the other Pacific way and said, Ocean. "Let's all go train on Mars, mm -hmm. on the um, on the mountain, on the Olympic Mons, and come back to Earth and compete." Problem is, it's only forty percent the gravity of Earth, so you're, the weight that you are carrying is not as much going up the hill. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so, there, so there's, there is some trade-off. Some trade-offs. There's some trade-offs. Trade some leaded suits. Right. And, Oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah. Led, led, led yourself down. Yeah. Uh, another thing, once you've drained the Pacific Ocean, mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with sports, just while we're on the topic. If you drain <laughs> the Pacific Ocean, that is the great toilet bowl of dead satellites. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah, because they always splash down in the Pacific. Oh, they crash down. In the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's true. a dead satellite, they're not splashing. They're, they're not crashing. splashing down. They're Pretty crashing cold. down. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the reason why is the Pacific Ocean is almost a third of all possible longitudes on Earth. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you deorbit and you do it, you have a lot of latitude, no pun intended, to where you begin the deorbit so that it's going to plunk down in the Pacific yeah, no matter right. what. And, and people don't live there, so not over the great bulk of the expanse. Right. So it's a safe place to drop your stuff out of orbit. The day we deorbit Hubble, it's going straight into the it's Pacific. Going into the, yeah, the Pacific. Pacific Ocean. And it's the size of a Greyhound bus, by the way, if you wow. know. Nice. Hubble telescope. All right. Yeah. So this is one of my mm. favorite. Okay. Uh, you, uh, we, we actually talked about this in, in a different form on on Star Talk, uh, and it's swimming on Mars. Okay, so here it is again, yeah. the same, same week. Uh, if there was swimming on Mars, the low temperature and low air pressure would force the pool to simultaneously freeze and boil. Sweet. That How many hours does Michael does Phelps have to train to, <laughs> to cope with freezing and boiling simultaneously? Because he's up to about 50,000 hours. There it is gurgling, and there are yeah. chunks of ice That's in there right. as the well. Same. So yeah. at, the exact, at the same time, so can you explain that? So the, yeah. the, I don't know how you get to that situation. How do you get to that situation? Okay, so in, in chemistry, in physics as well, it's called the triple point. Okay. So, which is a cool name. Yeah, the yeah. triple point of a of a substance is the point where it is happy being solid liquid and gas all at the same time. Oh, at the time. same time. Okay? So now, now that sounds freaky because yes. it's outside of our common life experience. Right. But it's less so than you might think. Go on, okay? Then. So, take a look at um, uh, dry ice, okay, CO2. Right. Okay. That's in a double point of its state. So yes. it is simultaneously a solid mm -hmm. and a vapor. Right. It's happening all at once. Yes. Okay, you open the thing up, the vapor comes out, and it's solid. Right. So that's a double point that it's occupying. Right. That's not as interesting as the triple point. But it does make for awesome concerts. So here... <laughs> Uh, so, so here's how I, I, I think they use other smoke for that. Rather, I, I think there's other. They, they got that done. They used to use dry ice back in the day, but you're right. They use smoke machines now. Eighty years ago, yeah. 
<laughs> when Twisted Sister performed in <laughs> in Aught Three, you know. So so here's how it works. You know that when you go to high altitude, yeah, it affects cooking times because water boils at a lower temperature. Right. You know this. Yeah. Instead of 212, if we're all using imperial units, uh, it could it could boil at 200 degrees or 180 degrees. Okay. So you have to increase the cooking time because the food is not at the high temperature for as long, and you can't get boiling water hotter than the temperature that it's boiling at. Right. All right? One of the earliest experiments I did with my kids, so they understood this, you, I, I would start boiling a pot of water. I say, I give them a thermometer and say, measure the temperature. And it's like 100 degrees. Three minutes later, measure it again, 110 degrees, 120. They keep doing this. And I say, there's heat going into it. They say, yep, we see the flame. Uh, they, my kids are like six and seven and eight. So then it's like 200 degrees. They check it again. 205, 210, 212. Okay, 10 minutes later, measure it again. Still 212. Where's the energy going? Right. Oh, my gosh, it stops going. Because water and at that air pressure. Right. It's got to become gas. Got to become a gas. Right. So now you lower the air pressure, the boiling point drops. Right. And the more you lower the air pressure, the lower the boiling point drops. Right. And eventually, the boiling point meets the freezing point of water. Oh. And now you have frozen water, liquid water, and boiling water all in the same same point. That's great. Awesome. Hey, before we jump back into it, I just realized something. So, everyone's once you, when you were talking about volleyball on Mars, yeah. burning the skin uh, because so no, if no, you, no UV protection. Yeah. 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 By the way, the, the Mars is farther away from the sun than is Earth. Right. So, the was it 1.4 carry the two? Always <laughs> don't, don't you get it wrong? You'll get uh, so Mars has about tw- uh, one half the solar intensity right. than does Mars. But so, in any given amount of time, all other things being equal, it would take you twice as long to get to get sunburned. But Mars does not have a UV layer. Right. I mean, a, a, an ozone, ozone layer. layer. Right, because there's no free oxygen on, on, on Mars. Right. So on Earth, free oxygen is the oxygen we breathe. That's O2. Right. Oxygen binds with itself. The ozone layer high up in the atmosphere is three oxygen atoms. And the reason why that blocks UV, I don't, do you ever know, wonder why, how? I did not. Okay, so this molecule is sitting there fat and happy in the upper atmosphere. Okay. And one of its bonds that binds these molecules together is the same energetics as that of an ultraviolet particle of light, an ultraviolet photon. Gotcha. Ultraviolet photon comes in, it is just what it needs to bust it open. Uh, Right. So the energy of the light is gone, and it got converted to breaking apart this molecule. Right. So, so basically so the, ate the UV molecule. So that the UV photon. Right. That 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 actual molecular bond yes. becomes a natural block. block. Like it's it's literally like a like a blocking tackle. Literal block. And if there's a very close explosion to us in our solar system, okay. supernova, you can calculate because it takes a while to regenerate the, the ozone, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a stable layer. You, you win some, you lose some. Right. You get remanufactured. Thank you, Al Gore. Okay, so watch what happens. So if you have a, cl- a nearby supernova, which has a lot of UV, mm-hmm. you, the waves of UV light take out your ozone, and then the next wave goes through without... Uh, without conflict. Wow. So okay. the first wave... It's just gets- like an army. Right. It's exactly like army wave, yeah. waves of armies. And so the ozone can only protect you so much before it has to rebuild itself if you have a, a, a major flux of UV coming in. What's the so- timeline on a rebuild? I, I, I have to calculate that. I don't, okay. It, it has many sources. Lightning can actually regenerate. Um, you can put energy back in uh, to recreate this... Um, uh, because different chemical reactions are exothermic and endothermic, and it's the balance of all of these that creates the, chemi- the, the chemical cocktail that is our atmosphere. Nice. So, yeah, so other mechanisms can regenerate it. And I, whatever those mechanisms are, you can construct actual things in the universe that will override them, such as okay. supernova explosions. Yeah. Wow. Any other planets or moons in our solar system with a similar ozone layer? No, because we get our oxygen from life. Right. I used to think in Star Trek, oh, Captain, this is an oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere. We can go down and breathe it. I said, oh, all we have to do is look around the universe for a planet that, ha- that happens to have the, the, the chemical mixture that Earth has. Right. And then I realized, no, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. It's not that every planet's got its own mixture. It's that Earth has oxygen because we have life. Right. Because we, yeah. cause the, the, the photosynthesis, all the, the, the green plants 
make that oxygen. And that then, that's like rocket fuel for animals. Then animals can now rise up, metabolize oxygen, and we have this harmony of plants and animals. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome back to Star Talk. This week is a special mashup edition. You're going to hear clips from our favorite discussions across the Star Talk network. So let's get right back to it. So this is somebody who wants to know about the atmosphere and the gravity on Mars. Mm -hmm. But I love the way that Stephen Matlow uh, phrases this question, somewhat inventive. And this came over which which path? This came over Facebook. Mm -hmm. And he says, okay. Neil, when the New York Yankees play a road series against the Mars Cosmos, how big will the outfield have to be to prevent everybody from hitting home runs? Also, will the pitcher throw faster in the atmosphere or slower? And will he or she, this guy's very liberal. Nice. He's got a female pitcher in the major league mm-hmm. interstellar uh, uh, interplanetary. Inter- interplanetary, mm-hmm. not interstellar, interplanetary baseball league. Will, sh- will he or she be able to throw a curve ball? Mm-hmm. And he, um, take it back, Stephen is coming from Livingston, Montana. Livingston, Montana. Yes. Whoa. Yes, flat country. Uh, now, here's something. Guy I've never seen a mountain in his life. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's called Montana. Yeah, so <laughs> so uh, I was in Montana recently. I gave a yeah. talk in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, really? Yep. 6,000 people yeah. showed up for it. Nice. I didn't know that many people lived in Montana. Uh, I think you had the entire state there, <laughs> to be honest. And by the way, I was joking about uh, mountains, because there are mountains in Montana. That's why it's called Montana. Exactly. Mon- it's Big Sky. As big Sky. It's, it's Big Sky. Big but sky. Yeah, there are mountains in Montana. But uh, go ahead. Uh, so here's this question. How, I, I got the question. I oh, remember it. You oh, read it. I got it. Oh, I have a good memory. Me. Excuse me. I have an awesome memory from <laughs> three minutes ago. I know. So, so um, a couple of things don't change and other things do. Okay. The pitcher does not throw faster because that's just their musculoskeletal capacity to do so. All right. The ball will not slow down as much between release of the fingertip and crossing home plate. Because the air is thinner, and there is air resistance to the ball, right? That slows it down. I don't know. Maybe ten miles an hour, or five, whatever it is, five miles an hour. It's not traveling for very long, so it. But it will slow down a little bit. It does that in the majors. Uh, it will do that on Mars, but it will slow down by a little bit less. A little bit less. But that's not the major thing going on here. 
the Martian atmosphere is very thin. Okay. It's like 1% of our thickness. And it's the air, the movement of the ball through the air that enables it to curve. Right. So curveballs would be very hard on Mars. Because you don't have the air or the thickness the of the thickness air. The thickness of the air. For those, those what are they called, stitches? Stitches, yes. Right? <laughs> is that what they call? Is that what they call the stitches on a ball? The stitches? They call them the stitches. The stitches? Yes. Do they call the stitches on the ball the stitches? Yes. <laughs> but, you know, that's what's causing that rotation. Well, it, it, it assists it. Even it if it didn't have stitches, you'd it, still have you'd still some. Move. You could still move it, right? Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. But the stitches help it. Definitely. But without the the thickness of the air, you can't get that movement? Uh, you don't get as much movement. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get as much movement. Now, it is windy on Mars. So you could throw an awesome knuckleball. Nice. Because knuckleballs don't rotate, and so they're not stable moving through the air. Right. Rotating things are stabilized. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's why footballs, a rotating football exactly. is stable. Spinning. Spinning. Okay, so uh, a, a knuckleball does not spin. Therefore, it is susceptible to any possible puff of air that comes across its so path. So you could use a, a windy day knuckleball to create the the... The effect of a curveball. Well, yeah, but it, it'll, it'll curve in a way that you can't predict. And right. that's why catchers are always dropping knuckleballs. Because gotcha. they don't know where the hell yeah, they're... They're... The, the, you know, the, the ball's jiggling and wiggling and, right. and it comes in. And so uh, the number of pass balls, pass knuckleballs by a, by a catcher mm -hmm. is, is huge relative to other pitchers. Because it's a surprise ball. But it's a surprise ball for everybody, right. even the pitcher. A curveball, the catcher calls for the curveball. So, they right. know so he knows what he's doing. Yeah, they know where, where it's coming. So, See, so this, those is what are I love. this is what I love about you, man. I mean, that's, I, I swear to God. See, th this is what's great. We're talking about baseball on Mars, but yet you know all this crap about baseball. <laughs> How does this happen? <laughs> no, you know what it is. It's not like I mean, but I like who does, I'm. Uh, I'm a red-blooded American. I like me some baseball and hot dogs, okay? okay, and apple pie. All right. So just start there. Okay. Okay. So now the rest of it is just because I go to a baseball game and I'm curious about it. Like I just ask questions of the game and of myself relevant to the game. Gotcha. So for example, I say to myself, suppose you're hit by a pitch on ball four. Right. You ought to be able to go to second base. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm just saying. Yeah, true. I'm just saying. No, that makes sense okay. when you think about it. I'm just, right. These are the kind of questions I asked about the game. That's very funny, okay. yeah. So, uh, now... Uh, <laughs> we got to get that rule in baseball. That's awesome. Okay, so now, uh, how far... How big a stadium would you have to make? M Martian gravity is about 40% of Earth's gravity. Okay. So if you weigh 100 pounds on Earth, you weigh 40 pounds, pounds on, on or 38 pounds on Mars. Gotcha. So 200 pounds, you weigh 80 pounds, which is great because the muscles that you have for carrying a 200-pound body uh, will now be operating in an 80-pound body. So you'd be right. able to jump higher, okay? Yeah. You'd be able... To, yeah, so there's... So maybe you'd make the infield a little bigger because you'd be leaping... Uh, you know, you'd have to sort of adjust that. There'd be some trial and error on this right. to get the ideal field size. Now, when you hit a home run, the ball is doing two things. It's going forward and it's going upwards. Up. Right. Okay. And then it finishes going upwards and then it starts coming downwards while it's still going forwards. Right. Each of those have a different effect. Okay. How far you, how fast you can hit the thing going forward has nothing to do with being on Mars. Okay. That's just how how fast did you swing right. back? That's your that's your swing strength. Okay. It's your swing strength. Now the Mars the ball going up, okay. The same force will have the ball go higher, correct, than on Earth, which means it will travel farther simply because it'll go higher. Right. All right. And so you got to do the math. I haven't done the math on that. So well, I yeah. You, you, I don't have. If I were to guess, uh, you know, make it forty percent bigger. I mean, just as well, yeah, as, as, as a first as cut. As a general rule, just a first just cut. Just a first cut. And probably if I do the math, there are some adjustments in there. Right. So a four hundred dead center field, a forty percent greater than that would be hundred and sixty more feet. And is that right? Yeah, four times. Yeah, hundred sixty more feet. So it'd be five hundred and sixty feet dead center. Right. To, just to recreate the, just same, recreate the same likelihood, likelihood of, a, of a home run. Now, 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 that means outfield is huge. Right. Which means you got to have some fast outfielders. <laughs> that is true. You might have to add two more outfielders to it. Yeah, that's because exactly. it, 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 it fans out from home plate. Right. right? So if you if it's if it's five hundred sixty dead center. You know, you're you're gonna be missing a lot of balls unless yeah. you be like Little League. You had a fourth outfield. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing space and science down to earth. 
You're listening to Star Talk. Tyson, I'm an astrophysicist with the American Museum of Natural History right here in New York, where I also serve as the director of the Hayden Planetarium. And I've got with me wow. Eugene Merman, comedian extraordinaire. Eugene, thank you. And with me is John Oliver, England's gift to America. <laughs> And John, you got this regular gig on The Daily Show. I do. Very cool. That's right. Normally it would be cool, but I am sitting with an astronaut. (laughs) (laughs) So it only compounds the failure that the six-year-old version of myself... (laughs) Annie Shaken, you've become a journalist in your later years, an author writing about space, and a geologist by background, a planetary geologist. Welcome to Star Talk Live. Thank you. The one, the only, the truly inimitable Buzz Aldrin, ladies and gentlemen. Do you think that people would come? You've, we've seen the pictures of what Mars looks like, and I, you know, I love Mars as a planet as much as anybody. But to look at it every day, with the brown dust and the brown sky, which is the dust floating in the air, you think people would learn to love that? People who came from the Earth, their children, their grandchildren. Would they start to feel like that's home? They will be the most remembered, the most talked about pioneers that have ever Ever. set foot on Earth because they pioneered something that nobody ever did and they carried it out. The leader who makes a commitment for human beings on the planet Earth how long we've been here, we came down from the trees, whatever, and we've done kind of piddling things, but all of a sudden... A couple of cool things, I think. Yeah, yeah. Or it's 5,000 years old, but now, anyway. Thousands, <laughs> thousands of years in the future, the person on Earth that kind of pushed human beings to go and establish a settlement that began to grow and grow. You don't think that's a small thing in the history of mankind? Oh, I do, but I think I'm asking for the people who are actually living on Mars. Yeah. Will they feel that they are happy, They'll be, happy in be, their be lives? There'll be more movies written about them, more books and everything. I think it's like they will. Laika the dog. Laika died, but it was a mutt stray dog running through the streets of Moscow, and now it's more famous than like Lassie. Yeah. All right. So if I were a, a mutt dog, I would want to die in space because people would like talk about me. You've been listening to a special mashup edition of Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, and as always, I bid you to keep looking up. In a fast-paced world. Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.